Hello everyone, Rob Howe here, and welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. Just wanted to let you know that if you've been listening all the way to this point from the beginning, you're inching ever closer to hearing over 1,000 years of living with type 1 diabetes. Now, certainly there are some similarities in how we all deal with the disease, but I find it super rewarding to dig into the tactics, tips, mindsets, and insights that make us all different. If you hear something new, interesting, or polarizing, drop me a line. I'd love to discuss it. Uh, Holler at me on Instagram or shoot me an email. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from across the world. And my very special guest today uh, is Kira Richards. Kira, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to come on the show. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm very excited as well. And uh, I I think a lot of our our listeners may be familiar with with your line of products and and your brands. So, But why don't you go ahead and uh, just give everybody a little bit of a background? Yeah, that makes me really happy you say that. (laughs) Um, I am the founder of Myabetic, and we create fashion accessories that are designed to hold your diabetes supplies. So it's a fashion brand uh, created specifically for people with diabetes. And I mean, just very close to my heart, this this issue, because for for many years, there was just no option other than to just mangle some sort of bag and throw all of your stuff in it. So I'm just so glad that there's an option out there. Uh, for people who are a little bit more fashion forward to carry around their supplies. Exactly, exactly. Much more fun. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so uh, let's uh, let's get talking down to business in terms of uh, you know your diagnosis story because uh, you know every every great uh, diabetic accomplishment starts uh, in a hospital somewhere it seems like. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let, let's give a little background on that and then kind of talk about how it led down to this journey. Sure. Um, So instead of starting at the hospital, I'm going to start across the world um, in Afghanistan. So I um, was working, when I was diagnosed, I was 24 years old. So I was working in Los Angeles as a professional dancer, um, an actress and model. So I was doing music videos and awards shows and commercials, uh, auditioning all the time. And when I was diagnosed, I had just returned um, to LA from Afghanistan, where I was dancing and performing for the military troops on a military tour. Um, When I left for Afghanistan, I was super excited uh, to perform, but you know, had had no evidence of any kind of health problems. Um, And when I went over there, I was performing uh, maybe twice a day and traveling by Black Hawk helicopter from base to base performing um, in the middle of sometimes just really hot desert areas. And um, I started feeling just a little bit off. And it wasn't something that really occurred to me at first that it was a big problem because the the little clues that many people with diabetes understand and are familiar with, um, thirst and hunger, uh, it didn't totally, it didn't sink in that this was a big deal because I was dancing so heavily. Um, and when we were performing after every show, I was super thirsty, but again, I was dancing in the middle of the desert. So it, it didn't seem like it was something that I should be too worried about. Um, but in, on the military bases, there were these big fridges there with just tons of water bottles so that, um, the military personnel and the soldiers could just easily grab them. But well, I just went by this refrigerator. Like I, I, I went by the fridge, took like so many bottles and just kept going back, visiting it multiple times a day. Um, I could not drink enough water. 
Um, this being said, obviously you have to go to the bathroom all the time. And the issue with that though, was that I was on these military bases in Afghanistan um, in these huts. And because they're obviously dangerous, I, I wasn't able to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night by myself. Um, it was, they were on, we were on blackout bases, meaning there were no lights on the bases so that we couldn't be um, detected by terrorists. So in order to leave our little hut or our tent, first of all, I would need to wake up um, some one of the soldiers to accompany me to the bathroom on base. Um, I would have to put on a bulletproof vest, a helmet, and night vision goggles just to get to the bathroom. So, so a big I, ordeal. Exactly. So as you can imagine, I was like, that is way too much. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to hold it, you know. Um, and when you're drinking that much water and then trying to hold it, as well as traveling from these bases in um, military planes that do not have bathrooms on the planes. They did say if you want to, if you want to use the ba uh, bathroom, you can use that bucket right there in the middle of the plane in front of everyone. And that just wasn't going to be something that I did. So anyway, I, I came back from Afghanistan and what I thought had happened was that I had injured my bladder from holding it and not using the bathroom. Oh, wow. So that's what, you know, when I was little, people would, you know, like when you see a little kid having to go to the bathroom, like it, there's always these stories, like you're not supposed to hold it, you know? Right. So that's that's what I thought. I did something like that. So when I came back from Afghanistan, I had, I, I just had to keep going. I was just still so thirsty, so, so hungry, kept having to use the bathroom frequently in the middle of the night. So I finally went to the family physician and I walked in and thought, uh, this is, I had made my own self-diagnosis that I had broken my bladder in Afghanistan. So that's what I told uh, my doctor, which obviously she looked at me and with a raised eyebrow. And was <laughs> right. like, ah, I don't know if that's what happened. Um, so she had a suspicion, uh, came in, had her nurse check me. Um, with a glucose meter and came back and told me we got to send you straight to um, the hospital because you, we, you have diabetes. So that was my diagnosis. Well, besides that being a very multi-layered and sort of very eventful story, uh, I want to go back a little bit because I also have been on one of those military tours, a USO military tour when I was mm -hmm. playing uh, against the Harlem Globetrotters. So uh -huh. we did, we did uh, Kuwait, we did Bahrain, we did Afghanistan. There you go. So I don't want to undersell like how rigorous the travel is just like going from base to base to base. You're crossing a large amount of land mass. You're on planes up and down, like coming from the U S I think you're on that weird uh, time zone in Afghanistan where it's like half an hour. It's like exactly. 12 and a half hours, which is the weirdest. That was like, people ask me what the weirdest part was. That was the weirdest <laughs> thing to me that I was, was 12 a and a half part. hours ahead of home. Um, right. But then, you know, uh, like you said, the military bases are stocked with, it's like diabetic paradise, right? So if you have right. a, like, cause for me, um, I didn't tell my team that I was type one because I felt like if they knew that they would cut me because it was just another thing they had to worry about. I understand, so, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone by any stretch. But uh, I, so I, every time I passed a granola bar station or a Gatorade, I would stash like two or three just in case I had a low, you know. 
So right. uh, I was lugging around about 10 pounds of extra gear compared to my teammates <laughs> because I had all that Gatorade in there, uh, which right. is actually, you know, sort of a blessing in disguise. I mean, not, uh, you know, on a travel schedule, you don't always have opportunities to grab, uh, you know, low blood sugar, you know, hypo treatment options. So it was kind of nice. Um, True. Anyway, so uh, all that to say, uh, you know, it's it's a rigorous schedule. You're you're already, you know, you've got all this all these barriers to go to the restroom anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. you're trying to, you know, tough it out. I'm sure as a dancer, like you're, you know, you're like, oh, well, I'm just traveling or, oh, well, I haven't slept or my body clock's off. Uh, I just got to focus on this and get it done. Um, exactly. and all of that comes through and then you get that, that word from the doctor. They're like, you have type one diabetes. So where, right. take us into that moment. What goes through your mind? Sure. So she did say diabetes. Um, and that was a shock. I definitely don't have anybody that I know of in my family history. Um, I didn't have any friends that I knew had diabetes. I really, the only, uh, kind of reference I had toward diabetes was that when I was younger, I read the babysitter's club books and knew that one of the characters had diabetes, but that's really the only thing I knew about diabetes. So it was obviously a shock. Um, she did not tell me if it was type one or type two, but she sent me to the hospital to meet with an endocrinologist. And, and that was actually a pretty traumatic experience. The endocrinologist that I met with, while she was a fantastic doctor, she didn't have like the best bedside man- manner. Um, and when I went in there, I, I you know, this is an hour after being told that I had diabetes. She came in, looked at me and said, well, I hear you're a dancer. And I said, yes. And she goes, don't worry. I've had dancers that have diabetes. This isn't going to be a big deal. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and then she said, well, I'm going to give you um, directions. So just take a couple of shots of insulin tonight and come back and see me tomorrow. Which I'm going, first of all, I don't understand insulin. Give myself shots. Like, right. you understand, this is just super overwhelming. I, I So I asked her, I said, how do I give myself a shot of insulin? Like, where do I even get this? Like, how do I do that? And she looked at me and then went and then made this big sigh going, oh, and she opened the door and yelled down to, I don't know, a nurse or something and said, hey, she doesn't even know how to give herself shots. And then she came back and said, uh, like, just so annoyed with me. And yeah, and so here I am going, okay, like, I'm 24 years old, I don't know anything about this disease. I don't know what you're talking about. And then I felt even more stupid or uneducated about something that, you know, I was already in, it's it's already traumatic going through this. Right. And it's sort of like shaming, right? Uh, Exactly. And I think those moments after diagnosis, uh, after hearing close to 65 now, uh, diagnosis stories from people and all they all have some element of similarity but each is unique in its own way as well um yeah. th- those moments immediately after the diagnosis are so important just the, they are. Th- the things that people say the way that they say them uh have a profound impact i think you're just your your trauma meters are like your your spidey sense is like turned yeah, way hyper up hyper aware exactly e- exactly so at that point you know that that type of even for her, maybe just having a bad afternoon or something. Right, um, right. It might have, who knows exactly what happened, but I, I felt like it was being taken out on me. Um, and I, I was going, did I miss a doctor appointment? Like, so that was I supposed to go see someone before you? Um, like, I was sent directly to you. You're my first person that is going to talk to me about this disease. And here I am feeling super embarrassed and, you know, like I, I'm a problem or a nuisance. So that was 
yeah, it made the experience even worse. Um, she left the room and just kind of left me in there for a good 20 minutes. And I was just, I was uh, just crying. I, you know, I felt terrible, didn't know what to do. And eventually, um, over the next week, she sent me to a diabetes educator who was so much better and tried to kind of calmly explain everything. But she did not say that I had type one. Um, she actually, they expected it to be type two. Uh, so in the beginning, they were saying, we're hoping that this is type two. We think it's type two because you are older. And I understand now that that's, that's more common. Um, but I just couldn't understand when that was looking up type two, because I'm going, here I am dancing hours and hours a day. Um, it, it is my profession. And trying to understand type two diabetes. And there's, you know, there's a lot of genetic um, effects with it but I went to a class with other people with type 2 diabetes and one of the things they had told us in the class was that um, you know you should you should start trying to exercise more and so I want you as your homework to walk around your block once this week and I'm going okay I don't know uh. how that's gonna help me you know like so I was very frustrated in the beginning, um, and they did not know until they did more tests and came back. And then within the next week, they said, "I think you know you're you still are producing a tiny bit of insulin. We know it is going to stop, so you are going to become a type type one diabetic." Um, but it, you know, I I feel for all people with diabetes that there's nothing easy about it. Well, right. And I think for people who were diagnosed at the same age you were around there, there's so little education, even among physicians, that type 1 is still possible at that point. Um, Correct. So of almost all the diagnosis stories around that age that I've been told, uh, it's it's staggering the amount of initial misdiagnoses or, you know, just that the doctors thought or prescribed like metformin or something and said, hey, uh, and even some of the other, uh, I think like uh, Paloma Glitter Glucose, yeah. Um, talks about almost two years she went with uh, the doctors thinking it was type two uh, and ended up having to switch doctors two or three times. So, you know, right. I, and then, you know, again, those first moments building that trust uh, so imperative to the rest of your journey. So for you, um, you know, and, and I think everyone's so different and like as a profession, this is not to harp on medical professionals because I think they're no. amazing and they do a great job, but all type one diabetics are so different. Yes. So for you, being a dancer, which uh, be, uh, for those who are not intimately aware of how fit you have to be to be a dancer, in that top 5% of all even athletes in terms of your overall fitness level, right? So to walk around the block is not going to do anything. Walk around the block once a week is not even no. going to register on the radar of a, Correct. of a workout. So, you know, for you, how did you say, okay, well, I've got to balance what I've been told with what I know about myself and what I know about my body and my regimen and adjust from there. You know what? I can't even say that I got there that fast. Um, my the mental journey was so long from that point that I don't think I was. To be completely honest, I don't think I was even there to be like, okay, let's let's treat this as um, a health issue. And I'd like to say I was brave and just took control and said, okay, this is all right. I'm going to beat this and have this great attitude toward it. But I just, I didn't get there for a long time. Um, I was pretty bitter. I was upset. And as you mentioned, um, being a professional dancer, my livelihood was dependent on my physicality. 
I was auditioning every day. And as a dancer and a model or, you know, doing acting jobs in Los Angeles, the casting process is extremely physical. And what I did on a, on a day-to-day basis was walk into a casting studio and the first thing I do before I open my mouth, before I perform a piece is stand on an X in the middle of the room and tell, say my name, smile at the camera, and then do a slow 360. A lot of times in maybe a bathing suit or you know some, some kind of a little half top or shorts so they can just examine your body. And that's what I was going through. That was my day-to-day basis. And when, when I started taking insulin, because, you know, because when you're not, as many of you know, if you are diagnosed um, and you have not been giving yourself insulin and your body has not been uh, receiving the nutrients it needed, I had been losing a lot of weight rapidly. Again, I didn't realize that it was that bad because I was taking so many dance classes and performing all the time and taking Pilates. So it didn't seem that this was out of the ordinary. Um, But the insulin, as soon as I started taking insulin, like I gained 10 pounds very quickly. Um, and I needed it. My doctors are saying, no, no, cure. This is a good thing. Your body was starving. You needed this fat on your body. But you can, can you imagine as a model or a dancer, those 10 pounds are extremely, you know, um, depressing yeah. to your career. Um, and the mental, so- the mental weight of that, I think, is almost psychologically more heavier than you know the actual weight right it is it is and just understanding for me my value had been tied so much to my physicality that it it was a really hard mental process to go through so um i i was not the 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 management it wasn't the okay take nine units of insulin and take this lantus before bed like that wasn't the stuff that was really harmful to me that wasn't the hard part of it like I didn't mind giving myself shots like it's not a big deal in that way but you know the the weight loss and the emotional um aspect of becoming or thinking of myself as this sick person or this patient um I just I couldn't identify with it so I don't know if I and you know what to be honest I don't know if I've ever feel like I'm like oh I took the bull by the horns and now I feel like I have my diabetes under control <laughs> um, I could say I do the best I can every day but I think it, it's always been more of an emotional psychological journey for me well yeah and I think you know focusing on that feeling as well um, I think there's there's two points I want to make from it Number one, I think right now there's this idea perpetuating that you can be a perfect diabetic. And I think that a little bit of social media plays into that where it's just very, very curated and you can't, you can't see every moment. So you have to make inferences based on what you see. Right. Uh, And I think you can fall into a trap uh, really easily to, to say that, you know, on a day-to-day basis, oh, I want to have perfect blood sugars like X or Y. And I think... Uh, that if that person was to tell you like, Hey, I don't have perfect blood sugars. I, you know, I do the best that I can with what I've got. Right. Um, you know, I think that that would change a lot of things. And I think that some people do a really good job of showing the other side of it as well. Yeah. But back to your, your other point about, you know, not feeling sick and not wanting to associate yourself that way mentally or, or, or operate from that state of mind. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's really important too, because, the type 1 diabetes, you don't see it except for maybe some pump tubing or the occasional injection or blood sugar test. Like you're sort of undercover and you're hidden, but that weight is still very heavy. 
Um, so, you know, just just understanding and trying to find those moments where you can say, hey, I, I really do need a little bit of positive affirmation here. Um, any feelings of positive, positivity and normal, um, you know, just, hey, I, I do love myself a little bit of soft edges around the way that you talk to yourself is super important. It is important. Um, go ahead. uh, Yeah. So uh, kind of in that same, in that same vein, how did your diagnosis at 24 adjusting to life afterwards, how did that lead you down the path to start uh, myabetic? Sure. So as an artist, a professional artist, I did need to take a bit of a break from auditioning while I was trying to figure out my insulin levels. Um, I was I was just having a tough time. And I do think that was probably because of the emotional aspect of it more um, often. I was just feeling, uh, I felt like people could see my diabetes. So I just think that like my confidence was shaken a bit. And I just wanted to step back from um, the daily job of being judged. Uh, which is what auditions are. So I personally chose to take a little step back um, and just think about where my life was going and my career. I I went to UCLA. Um, I went and knew that I wanted to, I, I knew that I didn't just want to depend on entertainment for the rest of my life. I thought it was a really fun um, career to have while I was young and uh, travel and have great experiences. But I always wondered about what the next step and wh- where where the next step would be, um, what I would be doing and when it would come. So with the diabetes and also, under- also uh, realizing that I now needed to make sure that I had enough money to afford all of the supplies and the insulin, um, my health insurance plan at the time was, okay, this will cover my one doctor appointment every year, you know, the physical. Um, And then at that time, every time I went to get my insulin, it was a little less than $400 every single time. Um, So it just having a job that was reliant upon um, a casting that might a casting that could be dependent on whether I was 5'2 or 5'7 or whether my hair was brown or blonde. It just, it was too scary at that moment to rely entirely on that when I knew I had to ha- be able to afford the the drugs to keep me alive. And it's almost so, too, too much at stake and almost not even worth the risk at that point, the inherent right. risk. Exactly. So I had taken a little step back from that um, just to think about things. And I, um, while I was, uh, I've always needed to kind of have a, have a creative outlet when I'm going through something tough. Like as an artist, I just, that's where it goes. Like I need to kind of have some space and think creatively. Um, so I went to visit my family up in the San Francisco Bay area. And after like a long walk and just thinking about everything, um, I got home and I just I just had this feeling that I needed to kind of doodle. And so I took out a piece of paper and started drawing um, just these nicer bags and nicer supply cases for all of my diabetes supplies. Um, and that started just because I felt like everything about the diagnosis and my life surrounding diabetes was ugly. Like, it just felt ugly, like this big, ugly shadow on my life. And I know that that was my own perception, um, but that's where I was, frankly. And 
I thought, okay, I can't get behind this thing. I'm never going to identify with it if I think this is ugly. So how can I make it pretty? Like, is there anything I can do to kind of make this attractive, this management that I have to do? Like, what can I do to get on board with it a little bit? And thinking, well, what what is actually something I could physically make beautiful? And that's where this started. So I was doodling just cute things that I liked, like rainbows and hearts and pretty colors. And I just started kind of drawing this out. And I didn't think much of it at the time. Um, but it was one of those things that after I was done, it made me feel better. And then I kind of moved away from it. And every day I just kept thinking about it. It was just one of those things that just would not leave my brain. And as an artist, you you get creative and have so many different ideas. Oh, this would be fun. This would be great. You know, and that one just kind of stayed with me. Um, and after a while, I was just, I was with some friends from college and we were talking about business ideas and where we would all go in our careers as we're young adults and trying to think of things. And I said, yeah, I kind of had this business idea, but I don't know. I haven't put that much thought into it. And, uh, they asked me what it was for. And these are, these were close friends that knew I had been diagnosed with diabetes. And I told them that I said, I kind of want to make prettier cases for my diabetes supplies. And these friends, um, one of them was working in New York, um, with, in sales and marketing. And she, she goes, you know, that's a great idea and started thinking about it more. And, um, I had a friend from college that was in legal and a friend that was in finance. And we just kind of started coming together and talking about it for kind of for fun at first. And then the more we talked about it, the more we got excited. Um, and that's where the, so like the mini kernels of where it was born. Um, and now it's, it's, it's crazy to think about because I, at the time I did not know anything about business. I know that's such a huge word to just throw out there, but right. I wasn't a business major. Um, you know, I was, uh, I graduated with a, a BA in arts and I, I definitely had no experience in fashion. Um, no, no idea how to manufacture something. Definitely didn't. And honestly, I thought business was kind of like this big corporate machine that I never wanted to be a part of. Like I wanted to do things that were creative and emotional and feeling and I just had this kind of notion that business was hard-edged and something that was an enemy um now I I don't think that at all after going through everything and realizing how creative you can be as an entrepreneur but um at the time that's that's what I thought so it was just such a far-fetched idea and um conquering that has been such an ordeal and I laugh when I think back to the roots of that idea because I had a file cabinet in my room. Um, just, I'm, I'm an organized person, but when I thought of the idea of Myabetic, I, with my label maker, wrote out a label, Myabetic, put it on one manila folder, one hanging folder, and put it in my file cabinet as if everything that was going to go into this business could fit in one file folder. Like, I I, have, I had no idea what I was getting into. I'm so happy I did it, but um, I definitely wasn't prepared at the time for the journey that it would take me on. Well, and it's, it's, it's funny how little ideas and like a little bit of the right support in those ideas goes such a long way, right? Yes. Uh, even in like you were talking about those little acorns, like, you know, if you get the water and the encouragement right from the start, 
uh, from the right people, then you know it can grow and becomes a really big thing. When did you when did you know uh, that you were really on to something? Um, even when I thought of this idea, I still had never really talked to anybody else with diabetes. Like I was a very private person about my diabetes. I still am for the most part. Like I, I own this big diabetes fashion company and I love it and I meet so many people, but still for the most part, if you talk to me, I probably would not lead with it. I probably, it probably would not come up in conversation unless we really got down to it. Um, I'm just, I'm still just kind of private about it. Um, but, and that's not because I'm ashamed of it anymore. It's just where my head, my head doesn't go there initially. Um, but when I started this company, I, I still had not really met anybody with diabetes. So as I'm designing and throwing these things out there and trying to make prototypes, I'm thinking, am I just crazy? Like, am I the only person with diabetes that might ever think that these black nylon little cases that come with our glucose meters are ugly. Like maybe nobody else has a problem with it. Like maybe this is me just being kind of nuts and um, no one will be able to relate and all the fears that come into it. Oh, they'll, they'll think that this is, this is a dumb idea and just, you know, you can talk yourself out of it so many, so many times. Um, But we made little prototypes and went to one, uh, conference, uh, an American Diabetes Association conference in Los Angeles. And that was the first time I was able to really connect with anybody else with diabetes. Um, I just met people that came around. We got a little booth. Um, we had a sign. We didn't really have that many products. We had like, this is a wallet. Imagine this, but hold this. Like it really <laughs> right. wasn't a great prototype. You'd be like, imagine, you know, um, but I just kind of wanted to get a feel if like anybody else thought this idea was any good. And I definitely found a couple people that were interested or, or, or mentioned, you know, I had thought about that before. And I've heard that so many times, which makes me really happy because that means that it's not just me. Um, but a lot of people say, hey, I had this idea. I really want to make these things pretty. And you're like, fantastic. And, you know, I'm glad that I just kind of dove into it and did it. But um Myabetic, the more the more we got out there and the more people that we connected with, the more um, I understood that we were on to something special, that it was a new way to talk about um, diabetes that wasn't just from the nonprofit sector that's going to ask, that's going to connect with people and then kind of ask them for something um, in return, which isn't a bad deal. You know, like everybody, these nonprofit organizations are amazing and funding research and things that we really need. Um, But then there's also the big pharmaceutical corporations, um, which again are fantastic, but they're just, they're just so different from where I was. And I'm like, I need, I need a company or some kind of organization that is about the lifestyle, that addresses the daily life, that yes, these things that are, that are being created for us, um, the, new, the new drugs, the new scientific devices, all these things are fantastic. But what about if you actually have to use them and thinking right. about the lifestyle objects or just being out there in the perceptions of people um, without diabetes on people with diabetes and how that affects you. Like, I just wanted to be able to be in that space and talk creatively with other people with diabetes and just have an outlet for people to express these things. Um, and so it has become an, uh, an area or a way of me connecting with people with diabetes, um, even just on, on a personal level, because uh, I don't think I would have done it had I not had this business. But 
the more we just connected, the more people kind of said, I, I like this, I'm onto it. Or um, for instance, in the beginning, we had a, an array of products just trying to understand what people would want. We had some just dark black um, kind of really nice quality, but just still kind of conservative um, products. And then we had kind of fun, crazy, wild colors. And it wasn't a collection that I, to this day, would totally be proud of. Um, but I kind of needed to understand the spectrum of like, where, what, what do people want? And what are they responding to? And realizing that the first time we set up the store online, our first orders came in for these bright colors. It just made me really happy. I'm like, people want color. People want something fun to look at. You know, it's not that they're just all asking for the black version, right. which I was scared that might have been the case. You know, so seeing the different um, different tastes and different personalities and people able to express themselves differently, um, not having the same black meter that identifies you as a person with diabetes. I'm bl black meter case. You know, this is one way of kind of taking claim of your identity or yourself, your personality, your individuality with diabetes. Well, and uh, I think, I think it's super important too, because this space, like this diabetes type one diabetes lifestyle space is very new. Uh, I, at least I think yeah. I, I have a theory that it's new. I think beyond type one has done a great job of focusing on what it's really like to live as a type one. Phenomenal. Um, and I think it's just, you know, now that there's, it's more in vogue, I guess, to be more open about things that you're going through just in society. Um, yeah. And I think type one communities have benefited from that greatly. So I think, you know, there's just, there's a lot to being first, right? Just to have something that people associate good feelings with diabetes about is just a, it's, it's a new thing. And it's amazing because it didn't used to be that way. And, you yeah. know, to your, to your point, there were, I'm sure a lot of people who are like you, uh, you know, even even to the tenth power, right? Who hide their diabetes away from people? And, and I know right. you said that you don't do that out of shame. And, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who identify that as well. I was mm -hmm. one of them. I just right. didn't want to be a burden on anyone. I figured I could handle it on my own. So right. I ne so I never brought it up. And that's just sort of my type A athlete mentality. Uh, yeah. Was I wasn't going to have any reason for someone to keep an extra eye on me. I was totally going to get it. Right. Um, and then my whole life changed when I just accepted it and just said, Hey, yeah, this is something that I have and something that I deal with and I'm happy to talk about it. Um, but I'm probably, you know, I still don't, I don't think about it any more or less than I used to. I just am a little bit more open now. It's so, so strange. It's, it's very, but it's cool. It's something that I like associate positive feelings with now instead of negative. Agreed. Totally agreed. Well, that's so cool. That's so cool. I, uh, I'm, I'm really like inspired by your story, uh, obviously for, you know, a lot of different reasons. I think something that you talked about a little bit earlier, um, never a great time to take a risk. Um, <laughs> something that I sort of, uh, live by in my own life as well from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but as a type one diabetic, you brought up, you know, insurance and taking a risk and, yeah. uh, you know, I, for a long time, I thought I had that in the back of my mind. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but uh, that safety net when you kind of, you know, bounce out of the, uh, the employment, uh, you know, having a steady job with benefits and all that stuff. There's yeah. a lot of unanswered questions, right. uh, especially in the early days. What would you tell somebody who is sort of weighing those options and saying, hey, uh, I'm a type 1 diabetic and I have this idea, but I'm not sure if I should chase it because of XYZ? What would you tell that person? 
Well, my experience, I never had a stable job um, before this because I was an artist and because all of my jobs were kind of part time. I would teach dance. Um, I would, you know, work at gyms. I would I was always doing like five jobs. So I never had benefits with my with my position. Um, it would have been wonderful, but I, it just it wasn't something that I had. I was able to to have the luxury of having that. So um, I always paid for my insurance individually. Uh, the risk part has always been part of my personality. I I would. I guess, I guess it's something that most people fight with. Um, I would love to have the routine. There's something that's so wonderful about it. But for me, it's just not worth um, sacrificing that what if feeling um, to just make sure that I, I took care of the, um, the finances. It's, I mean, that sounds so ridiculous. I know it's, it, it, there's so much that goes into that, but just with my personality and where I was in life and, um, having that feeling that this could be something that works and I had to explore, I just, I would feel more upset that I, that I never did it. I didn't want to look back on my life, um, and go, well, I did have that great idea. And what if I had tried it and it would have been a success. And there's, I, I already feel like it's been such a success extremely in that psychological sense. Um, but for me, that's what I, that's what I chose to do. And I was going to whatever I needed to do to make sure that I could afford my diabetes care. And if I had to work five or six jobs, um, my medic definitely didn't wasn't a full time thing right away. Uh, it we built after out of years. Um, and I was it was like one of six jobs when I started, you know, it was just you do it, you do it on the side and like every entrepreneur, okay, uh, no problem. Hold on. I'll, I, I'll call you from my office. And I'm like sitting in, in my car, you know, in front of another lesson. Uh, you just fake it till you make it. But it was something that I just had to explore. I'd feel terrible if I didn't. Yeah, I love it. It's a super inspiring story. Uh, and, you know, I hope that, that somebody will hear it out there and, you know, be willing to invest in their own, uh, their own dream, whatever that risk might be. Um, yeah. I asked this question to all of my guests, um, sort of as I wrap up interviews, um, and I'm really interested to hear your answer, um, both because I, I know you've, I'm sure you've traveled a lot. Obviously, uh, we have the, the USO tour in common, and that's an, a travel yeah. experience unlike any other. We could fill an entire podcast with just like the things that you see on one of those trips. Um, <laughs> so here's the context. Uh, you're in an airport, and you're at the gate, but yeah, your flight takes off in like 30 seconds. They're going to shut the gate and you have to make, you have to make this flight. It's like a non-negotiable. You got to make it. Uh, but you run into somebody who is either struggling with their type one diabetes or has recently been diagnosed. Uh, what's the one thing that Kira Richards tells them? Well, I kind of had this experience. Um, I was locked into a, um, not locked into, I was in the Los Angeles airport trying to rush to make a flight. And um, I was wearing at the time my insulin pump, My I was wearing the Tandem T-Slim pump um, and the Dexcom. And it went off um, in, in as we're going through, um, what was that, a TSA check in line. And they wanted to explore it, so they had they had to have me hold the pump, um, and then they do the little kind of magnetic um, strip to kind of feel your hands, make sure that everything is okay. Well, for some reason, on on this occasion, 
they put it into the sensor and the sensor says and starts it starts beeping and says explosives detected um so they rush me to uh a police kind of quarters and leave my bags everything out by the tsa um with the tsa guides and i was in this little, small little room they said they explained they had multiple police officers come and um, I was with specifically a group of women because they were going to have to to pat me down to make sure that there weren't any explosives. Um, and as they were kind of exploring this, they they felt my sensor and they felt my insulin pumps, and they were asking. And two of them had just been diagnosed with diabetes, and they were extremely. It, it shifted from something they they cleared me. But they also had asked me about, you know, what are these things? What are, what are they doing? And I, I told them it was for diabetes, and they said they had been diagnosed. And you could just tell that their whole face, is like their, their entire demeanor went into this spot of embarrassment and shame. And I sat there, and I, I took out my myabetic, um, my wallet that was a beautiful color, and said, look, here's what I did. I was diagnosed. I felt this way. I felt terrible. But it really isn't something that's uh, a bad way to live. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm doing fine. And, you know, look at this is something beautiful. And these, these women got so excited over the fashion accessory. And we just had a moment where I got, I was able to talk to them and connect with them. And um, eventually they let me go, but I, I had, a, I, they all took a card, wanted a, a diabetes fashion wallet, and I could tell that they felt better that it wasn't something they should be ashamed uh, about. So uh, that, was, that was a true experience, and I just think it shows that, you know, even though it can feel isolating, it's also something that really connects us to one another. Oh, I'm so glad I asked that question. Oh, that was awesome. What a, what a story. Yeah, we all have those stories, right? There's a bunch of little stories. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know that's what's so cool. Uh, everybody has like that story. I think there's a guy in my building um, here in Dallas now that uh, one of my coworkers saw his like pump tubing sticking out of his pants one day, uh-huh. and was like, "Hey, I think that guy's a diabetic." And blah, blah blah. And I went up and talked to him, which freaked her, which freaked her out. She's like, "I can't believe you just went up and talked to a stranger," but instantly he like I was like, "Hey, like I have a pump too," and we like had the same pump. And just chatted it up a little bit. And it's just like those weird serendipitous moments where uh, this thing that's always kind of so negative brings people together. And I just love that. It is. It's like this kind of secret society when you find out someone else has it. It's almost like they become part of your fraternity or sorority. You yeah. Know? It's just like you just have something like a, it's like you have a secret with them. Uh, right. Which is like really You get really it. Fun. You understand. There's a yeah. little wink that goes on. You know, it's, it's fun. God, that just gives me chills. I love that. It's so fun. Uh, Kira, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time today to uh, to come on the show. I, oh, amazing you. stories, and I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having such a great outlet for all of us to connect. Well, it's my pleasure, and it's my favorite thing, so uh, I get more out of it than everyone else does, I imagine. Um, and I, I think for, for our users who want to connect with you, I know you are myabetic, obviously, on all of the social media platforms. Yeah. Uh, but to follow, if they want to follow you personally, how do they do that? I'm on all social media channels as Kira Richards, so K-Y-R-R-A Richards. Awesome. And we will include links to all the MyBetic pages and uh, all of your pages as well in the show notes. Um, and Great. And thank you so much once again. Thank you.
Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind-the-scenes content. And if you or someone you know has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com.